Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. There's a lot of studies focusing on colic and stereotypic type behaviors too that I found. I don't have any like quotes or anything from them because I was bad at note-taking, but (laughs) (laughs) I do have one on cribbing and ad-lib concentrate feed, which is interesting because I wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) No, I'd pass on that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there was 10 geldings. Five of them got 1.8 kilograms concentrate feed two times a day throughout the entire study. And then five of them got ad lib, which wasn't really, I mean, technically it probably was because of how long it takes to eat that, but they got (laughs) 3.6 kilograms four times a day, days one through 102. And then they reduced it to 0.9 kilograms four times a day, days 103 to 136. And then to the baseline that the control horses were on for the remainder of the study. And their crib bites and bouts and the duration of them were recorded for or during six 24 hour observation periods days zero before they did the study and then 28 66 102 136 and 170 the control horses performed more crib bites and bouts and spent 233.13 minutes more cribbing than the ad-lib ones which was interesting but then the ad-lib horses when they received smaller amounts their cribbing was not different from the control because you would think it would kind of be the opposite. Yeah, that is really interesting. But they don't recommend using that to prevent cribbing. <laughs> they, they made sure to put that in the study, but okay. <laughs> it is interesting though, because I mean, I wouldn't feed a concentrate feed that frequently and in that high of amounts, but the concept of 24 7 access to food is still there. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what actually helps with the stereotypic behaviors. Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely wouldn't expect that either. But yeah, I guess, like you said, them just having food available is an improvement from having to stand around with nothing. Yeah, it's just interesting that even when they lowered it, they were still not presenting the cribbing behaviors as much. Yeah, that's really interesting. This is like tangentially related, but not super related. But I found a study from 2017. It was by someone named, I'm going to try to pronounce it, Rochice. I'm not sure, but we can link it. Um, and basically, they looked at they looked at a variety of different things related to slow feeders, like hay nets, I guess. And one thing they found was that having a slow feeder actually increased the horse's friendliness towards humans, which is really interesting. I guess, you know, in general, if the horse is not as stressed or, you know, having to do unnatural things like go without food, they're going to be friendlier towards humans. So that is really interesting because I I just never really thought about how like horses would, I don't know, I guess, change their interactions with humans based on that. But like, of course they would, it's changing their quality of life. So yeah, I think that goes back to the gut health and then also enrichment because if they're not able to perform behaviors a horse naturally would, obviously they're going to be more stressed and possibly even in pain. Like if they're stalled for long periods of time, that's not going to be mm-hmm. good for their bodies. And even having a slow feeder in their stall is better than nothing at all. Yeah, that's so true. But then the same study also found that hay bags could actually be like a pretty significant source of frustration for some horses, like especially if the openings are really small and maybe the horses aren't used to eating from a hay net. It can be really frustrating to them. So I think that's also something to consider because I'm very pro hay net. Like I'm very like, yes, hay nets, everyone have hay nets, but 
certain horses might not react positively to the hay net. And if they're, you know, more stressed by it, then it may not actually be the positive thing that you're trying to make it by putting it in their stall or whatever to give them more food and more enrichment. So I think like also going back to like all horses are an individual and you want to look at how they're like reacting to things that you give them rather than just being like, oh, this thing is just positive. Cause I definitely would just think it's positive. I love hay nets. <laughs> I do too. I actually have three or four out there right now because my horses oh, wow. are barefoot, so I don't have to worry about them getting caught in it or anything. I just tie them in like a ball and throw them out there. But I found with my horses that they'll actually usually go to the hay and nets before the loose hay on the ground. So I think it does go like it's it's really important to know your horse and your individual and how they respond to things. But I think in most cases, a lot of horses would prefer it because it's the yeah. contra freeloading idea. Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's really interesting and I think also like having your horses having access to food and not necessarily feeling like they need to scarf it all down because they don't know when they're going to get more like I think that also helps like my horses are very very like when they do get their hay they're very excited to eat it very quickly <laughs> so I think they would probably choose hay just on the ground over in a net but if they had more 24 7 access to food that might change the way that they approach that situation yeah that's also true your management situation is going to change a lot of things too like I fed my horses maybe an hour or two ago and they still have hay out there like a lot most of it's still out there because they have access to grass or hay 24 7 so they don't really feel the need to rush it yeah that makes a lot of sense I also have some pictures I took from a couple books that I have, but they are pretty outdated. One's like 2005. I think one's 2015. I don't remember the year of the other one, but I guess it's still, it might still be good information. Really brief stuff though. It's not like full paragraphs or anything. Okay. I mean, yeah, that could definitely still be good. I have one study on stereotypic behaviors and a screaming dog. <laughs> Stereotypic behaviors in thoroughbred horses. And I think it's specifically horses that were being used for racing. So obviously it's going to be a little different than your average just pasture or pleasure horse. But uh, they said it is racehorses. I found it. Uh, the relationship <laughs> of the factors to the prevalence of abnormal behavior was analyzed by logistic regression. Management factors related to the time spent in the stable showed the strongest associations with stereotypic behavior. The risk of horses performing abnormal behavior increased, one, as the amount of forage fell below 6.8 kilograms a day, two, when the bedding types other than straw were used, so back to the straw topic, three, when the total number of horses on the yard was fewer than 75, which that's a lot of horses. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> or an association with box designs that minimize contact between neighboring horses. And then lastly, when hay rather than other types of forage was used. So there's a lot of things that factor into stereotypic behaviors, which this episode isn't really supposed to be on that, but I found a lot of <laughs> stuff on stereotypic behaviors. So I think it's important to note because I think schedules and how you feed obviously play a role in that. Yeah, it was interesting yeah. how many things played a role in this study. I don't know how many horses they were looking at or anything. It's not very specific, but Paul McGreevy's pretty reliable. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, that is really interesting. I mean, I, I definitely think that makes sense. I think the way you feed your horse is really important in giving them ideally a stress-free environment where they feel good mentally and physically, and they're hopefully not going to be showing like stereotypic behaviors and other signs of stress. I don't know. I guess it goes back to like, if you do have to feed in a schedule, do it consistently. But if you don't have to feed in a schedule, then maybe don't and, and just kind of have it to where the horse isn't going to expect anything at any particular time. But for some people, if you do have to feed in a schedule, maybe try to stick to that as closely as you can so that the horse isn't getting frustrated and showing more of those frustration type behaviors. And in general, try to have as much food as possible be available to them as often as possible. Like, you know, having hay available as much as you can in a slow feeder net or I don't know, like a hay pellet ball or something that they can kind of just mess around with. So at least they, even if they're not getting a lot out of it, they're at least having something to occupy them for enrichment and getting a little bit of food from it. Your management, obviously, is going to vary on what your horse is being used for. Like a racehorse, they're probably going to be stalled quite a bit during the racing season. Yeah. But I like that this study where they were using straw for bedding because horses, as we mentioned, can kind of chew on that and use that for enrichment. And then it sounds like they also had contact with other horses. So that's really good, too. So there's a lot of things you can do even in a mostly stalling situation to help better your horse's life and therefore their physical health too. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, this is like really unrelated. Well, it's related to that, (laughs) but it's really unrelated to like the general topic of feeding. But um, (laughs) like one thing that I definitely remember from other types of research is that if they have to be in a stall where they can't have access to other horses, like the mirror can be put in there as like, enrichment and I mean I'm not gonna say that they're gonna like look in the mirror and think it's another horse because I have no idea what they're thinking when they look in the mirror but it's definitely some type of enrichment and I think it's a good thing to to do at least especially if they're not able to have access to other horses at least they can look at themselves (laughs) yeah that's true just make sure your mirror is well secured oh yes you definitely (laughs) don't want it falling (laughs) and hurting anybody no definitely not really want to try that though Coco used to look at herself in the mirror we had a little mirror in the aisle of our tacking area at the first barn that we boarded at and she would look at herself and it was so like interesting to me but I never got her like a bigger mirror or anything it was like a really small one it was like one of those small cabinets that have a mirror on the door when I was still riding wonder traditionally we would be riding laps around the arena and there was a mirror in one corner and he would just like every single lap he would stop and just look at himself (laughs) it's so funny it's so interesting (laughs) yeah it's really weird but definitely interesting I kind of wonder what he was thinking in that moment yeah I I really wonder maybe we should do an episode on like horses and like self-image and how they like look at mirrors I don't know I feel like that could be really interesting honestly I do kind of wonder about like horses self-awareness and like how self-aware they are and like if they could recognize themselves or like how they think of themselves. I just think that's really interesting how animals like handle that because it's probably so different from like how our self-image is. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like with Wonder, he wasn't snorting or showing any stress signs. I don't think it was like a fear reaction. But then again, I never really looked into it. So I'm not really sure. Yeah, well, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to know. I don't know if there's a ton of research out there on that, but I'll I'll definitely look into it and see. Yeah, I will too, because that's something I never really thought about like obviously I noticed it but I wasn't like oh what's going on here yeah (laughs) yeah 
I have one quote from Paddock Paradise by Jamie Jackson, and it's just a little tiny thing in the book, but it basically says that grazing animals are complementary feeders and don't compete aggressively when there's forage available. I think that's not like super related to this specific topic, but I think it's worth mentioning that if horses aren't getting an adequate amount of food, that there might be some resource guarding issues. Yeah, that is a good point. Like in general, I feel like diet and I don't know, logistics of feeding is such an important part of management to like prevent those other negative things from happening, like resource guarding, the stereotypic behaviors, probably most um, what we would think of as negative or like stress related behaviors. I feel like you can, I mean, you can't fix everything with it, but I feel like you can really do a lot with it. So this is definitely a really important topic for just like all areas of horse care. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of things in the Wisconsin horse group. There's two separate ones that are basically the same thing. I don't really know why, (laughs) but (laughs) I'll see a lot where like they're complaining about the horse not standing for grooming or tacking up or a hoof trim or a vet visit. And like for me, I just see a horse that's bored and possibly a little stressed. Like I would just give them a hay net or like an open bar feeding type situation where I can plop hay pellets in there the whole time. And I wish that was more normalized because it's not something people really think about. They just want to stop the pawing or the wiggling in the cross ties. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, Mimi is like that too. She does not stand very well. She actually was, that's why I was so surprised she was so good on that walk that we did where everything was crazy because she was like, Normally, she's the one who's kind of antsy, but she was really, really calm and really well behaved. But anyways, she hates cross ties. She won't stand in cross ties. Like she will paw and kind of try to pace around as much as you possibly can in cross ties. And she really does not do well with that. So I started just if I have to do something with her that involves like standing, just doing it in her stall and giving her some hay because she will stand for that, obviously, like she's eating and and doing better so instead of like trying to force her to be in the cross ties I just started moving to her stall and like sometimes horses do need to know how to be in the cross ties like if it's kind of out of your control and other people are going to be putting them in the cross ties or like they need to go in the cross ties for some reason for like a vet or something but if like that's not the situation I feel like it's perfectly okay to just kind of change it because it's not natural for them to stand there and people are so strongly I feel like people really strongly think horses need to be able to stand and I get that because in an emergency or something they really might need to be able to stand but it's also not their natural behavior so I think like it's better to kind of keep in mind that we're asking them to do something unnatural just standing there with nothing to do nothing to eat for an extended period of time that's not what they would do if they had a choice so I think people need to be more understanding of that yeah I think so too and Personally, I don't think it's that complicated to like tie up a hay net where you're going to be tying them. Like it's pretty simple. It's probably easier than trying to force them to stand in one position and not move at all. Yeah, that's really true. (laughs) I know tying is obviously important. There's situations where it has to be done. But even if you're not feeding, I feel like if your horse understands how to release pressure, even if it's taught traditionally or a positive reinforcement, I think they should kind of get the general idea without heavy amounts of training. I would still feed if possible, but if your horse knows basic foundation behaviors, I think they can probably handle that for a brief amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. Yeah, I don't know. In general, I think people just have kind of, again, anthropomorphic expectations of what the horse can do because they think like, it's not a big deal to stand here. Like, 
I could stand here and it would not be a big deal or just in general, it seems like such a small task to us, but for them, it's really going against what their nature is. So I think just, I don't know, trying to look at it from the learner's perspective is really good. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think the idea of horses having to do things just because we want them to is pretty drilled into people. And it's really hard to let go of that idea because it's so heavily drilled into people. But again, if you look at them as horses and as your learner, like they're, they're learning how to do this. If they're not standing there when you ask them to, they don't know how. It's not a matter of them being naughty or spiteful or just wanting to rebel against you. Like they just haven't learned how, that's all it is. Yeah, exactly. Or there could be something wrong that, you know, that they're trying to communicate if they don't feel well and it's not feeling good for them, even if like it is something that they previously did know how to do. I don't know, like something with Ren, like Ren used to be a police horse, obviously. So she went through really intense training where she actually had to do stuff like walk through like fire and stuff like that. She had to do like really intense, scary things. And now it's been like several years since she ever had to do any of that. So I'm sure she still kind of remembers or has some type of memory of those types of situations, but she hasn't been in them in a while. And so when we took her for a walk, there was just a lot of kind of chaos with cars and going around. And she had previously also worked around cars. Like we know that she she worked at a few concerts, like where there were cars, like parking and whatnot. And there was also a fire truck that drove by. And that was like, the just the the absolute scariest thing for her like it was definitely like she not only was scared by the sound but it seemed like she maybe like had some type of memory of it that she just totally freaked out because like big trucks would drive by and she was fine and then when the fire truck drove by the sirens weren't on her she was just totally freaking out and so I think like even though at one point she might have been calm around the fire truck due to the training like she she just hasn't had that type of training or been in those experiences lately so even though it's something she used to do she's still telling us right now this isn't safe for her and this isn't comfortable for her and so I think it's hard because it's really easy to want to say like you are a police horse you know how to do this you've been in worse situations scarier situations there's no reason why you should be spooking out a fire truck this is ridiculous but also like looking at the context and like looking at it from her perspective it's been so long since she's been in those situations and even when she was in those situations she probably was really scared and just was very well trained using negative reinforcement to not show that fear. So I don't know, that's kind of like a long, random, tangentially related thing. But just because like the horse did know how to do something doesn't mean that they may still be comfortable doing that in like every situation. Yeah, I think trauma and memory could be like a, a probably a four part episode, honestly. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> there's so much on that. And there's a lot of misconceptions too. I think that idea of, well, you've done this before, why can't you do it now, is really prevalent in the horse world. Even like in a single session, sometimes one of my horses will offer something and do it really well, but maybe they never offer it again that well in that session. And that's okay. Just because they did it that one time doesn't mean they're going to do it the next time or even the time after that. Like it varies. They're constantly learning. You can't just expect them to like constantly improve and improve and improve there are fluctuations in training. Yeah, that's so true. And in general, like they may be feeling a different way on a certain day, like maybe they 
are usually a good trail horse, but one day they're really stopping at the front of the trail and they don't want to go on the trail. Like there's probably some type of reason for that, whether it's just that that day they mentally don't feel up to that or whether something's hurting. Like if the horse isn't doing something they usually do, that's probably a sign to you that you need to like look into what's going on and figure out what the situation is, not just like push the horse through it. Yeah, definitely. This is like way off topic of feeding, but oh my god, we're so <laughs> off topic. But <laughs> it does still but kind of apply. If you feed though. well, <laughs> if yeah. you feed well, then these issues maybe will be less. <laughs> Very true. I don't know. That's <laughs> definitely way off topic, but yeah, it kind of apply though because how you feed is gonna matter when it comes to their mental health too. So I mean, yeah, you can argue that it is related, right? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, anything can be related to feeding. Feeding is just such a foundational thing of management that I feel like literally anything that the horse does is going to be affected by it. Yeah. I feel like I say this every time we record, but really everything kind of goes together. And sometimes that's annoying (laughs) because I already go on tangents. So when everything is already related to each other, it's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's okay though it's fine this is our podcast we can do tangents if we want yeah exactly and I mean it is all important regardless so it's okay (laughs) yes okay one I guess last thing that I should have mentioned earlier with other topics but forgot until right now (laughs) is that in larger less frequent meals like if you feed large amounts of grain twice a day or even with hay if you feed large amounts of hay twice a day or something like that they're going to actually like physically digest less nutrients from that, according to um, a couple studies that I saw. One is Derek Vondi et al. from 2021. So it's from this year. It's a very like recent study. And they actually showed that if you give them smaller, more frequent meals, they're going to digest more of those nutrients. So that's another reason why you can maybe feed less overall if you feed it in more frequent meals that are smaller. Um, because they'll digest more of it and in general even if you don't feed less you want them to be getting the nutrients from what you're giving them so I think that's another reason in favor of the the small more frequent meals if you do have to feed in meals yeah that's really interesting that's not something I really specifically thought about but it does make sense and I mean that's how people eat too so if we want to be anthropomorphic (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes we can use anthropomorphism in our favor (laughs) yeah because I mean realistically people should be eating like five small meals a day and that's kind of what we should be doing for our horses too yeah that that's very true yeah (laughs) I don't really have anything besides that but I just remembered that I should have said that earlier so (laughs) yeah yeah it's definitely important to mention that because I think the convenience is often what people rely on. Like that's why they want to feed only one or two times a day. And that's not necessarily bad, but if you can feed less and potentially even save yourself some money by feeding more times throughout the day, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's really true. We we all know horses are expensive, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I really wish I could own another horse right now, but it's just so expensive. Definitely could not. Yeah, it's a lot. Yes, but when I graduate, I'll graduate in May of 2022. And then I don't know what I'm doing. So maybe around then. But if I go to grad school, probably not. (laughs) I'll just have to see. It's so hard being a horse person. I know. 
it's terrible. <laughs> Worse. Well, it's not terrible, but <laughs> sometimes it's terrible. It can be, yeah. It's worth it, but yeah. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> worth it. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't really have anything else. Do you? Not really. I mean, I have more on stereotypic behaviors, but I don't think I need to list a million studies on the same topic when it's not really yeah. specifically about that. So I think it'll be a good episode and good for people to reference to and even maybe just spark more interest in the topic itself because there was one study that I didn't mention because it's not like super important but it was about like how much people actually know about feeding practices with their horses. I think it was based in England or the UK or something but it was a really small percentage of people that actually knew much at all. So, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> I don't remember crazy. exactly what it was, but it was not very many. I mean, I guess it's not really that surprising, but it's definitely not great. And that reminds me of one that I saw too. I forget exactly like what the results were, but they were showing that there's actually like different understandings of what a proper horse diet is, like in different regions of the U.S. So, like people in like the Midwest versus people in the south versus like people in the northeast might all have like a slightly different standard of like what they think horses should eat which to some extent makes sense they're in a different climate potentially the horses might actually need a slightly different diet but also probably a lot of it was just due to different misinformation in each area probably yeah I think it was in Greenland I'm not completely sure Greenland and Iceland are the same thing to me but (laughs) I think it was one of those and they actually feed their horses fish in the winter. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting because they're not carnivorous animals, but they eat it and they're fine. Like they don't have any serious effects of it. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I would not expect that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess some people feed their horse fish oil, so it's not too far off. But that's really weird to like think of a horse eating a fish. <laughs> I can't picture that. Yeah, I I don't know. Did they just like feed them the whole fish or did they like, I don't know, break it up into like, like grain size pieces or something? Like, I don't know, I guess it doesn't matter. But to them just like eating a whole fish is like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember. I looked at that a while back, I think like at least a year ago, I read that. And I don't even remember what the source was, so it could be completely false. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they fed it. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. There's one barn by where I used to live where the lesson kids were feeding the horses chicken nuggets and it really stressed me out <laughs> oh no <laughs> just, like sure they'll eat it but should they be yeah <laughs> I definitely fed my my old horse that I leased before Coco her name was Bella and I fed her some weird stuff I feel like I was like a little kid so <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> just like to- french fries <laughs> I gave Phoenix stir fry one time and they're not supposed to have any peppers. So, I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> but he liked it. Oh, maybe he's he likes alive. spicy food. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, another tangent, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at clicktreatrepeatpod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!